0: We're living in an attention economy. You and I need to get attention on the things that we're doing in order to get our ideas out there in the world, to get people to buy our products or hire us for our service. Whatever it is that we are selling or offering, whether free or paid in the world, You need eyeballs. You need people to pay attention to what you're doing. And that's why this conversation today with Alan Henry is going to be so instrumental for you as you think about creating content and finding your unique voice in the marketplace. So I recently had Alan on. Alan Henry is the service editor at wired. He was previously the smarter living editor at the New York times. And before that, the editor in chief of the productivity and lifestyle blog life hacker. So, He's got a brand new book out that just dropped this week called seen heard and paid the new work rules for the marginalized. It's on sale. Now anywhere books are sold. got my copy right here. It's a fantastic read. And I sat down with Alan to talk about the book a little bit, but inside the book he breaks down his 15 rules for overcoming marginalization in the workplace. And I feel like this really applies to us in particular two rules. One, His rule only spend time on the work that gets you attention and two, set and protect your boundaries. These are two things that I live and die by as a content creator. And later on in the conversation, we break down his chapter. That's all about figuring out your unique contribution and how you can refine that as you put your content out into the world. I think this is going to be a great conversation for you as a content creator, as a brand to figure out how can you make sure that the work you're doing is uniquely you and is geared to getting as much attention as possible. Because like I said, in an attention economy, the people the most attention for the right audience are going to be the ones who win. So sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation. With the brilliant. Well, Alan, it is awesome to finally connect with you. Thanks for making time out of your week to jump on a conversation. I'm excited to get to know more about your story, share your book with people. And so, uh, yeah, just thanks for the time, man.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So in the intro, I shared a little bit about some of the places you've you've contributed. Your work is, I mean, it's it's really good and it's and I follow you on Twitter and it's there's a lot of interesting stuff when I'm having a hard time connecting <laughs> is how, how did you get to Wired and New York times and Life Hacker and all these places, but you have a degree in physics and astronomy. <laughs> yeah, so how, do you, right. how do you get to from that to journalism, to authoring a book? Like what happened? Where did this all come from?
1: Yeah. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut, right? Like every other kid in the world does. Heck yes. And- and i was like all right so the way to be an astronaut is to study space so i bullheadedly went through like high school and college saying i'm going to get degrees in astrophysics and then i'm going to be an astronaut and then i got into like i think it was maybe my sophomore or junior year of physics and astronomy and i'm like yo this is so much math I, I, I didn't realize I was going to need this much math to go to space, man. So eventually, um, it just got real hard. And I mean, I, I finished, right? I got the degrees. But once I got out, I realized that I was on a path that was going to take me into a lab or an observatory somewhere. Mm. And I was going to fight to publish articles and publish uh, peer-reviewed papers. And I was like, that's not really what I want to do with my life. Um, it just so happened that at the same time I had this really ancient computer, that this really old Mac from back in the day, and it did not work. And I kept taking it to our campus IT department, and I was just sit there with their Mac expert for hours while we just try to figure out what was wrong with it. She eventually turned to me and said, "Do you want to work here?" <laughs> and I was like. I- I come here for help. Why would I? How would, would I work I, here? What kind of right. question is that? <laughs> right. So, but it was her that got me into technology. Right. And that wow. was that was I was I started working at the help desk at my at my university. Um, I started uh, doing like user support. I learned like to be a, a at the time it was a Unix system admin and it was wild. Mm-hmm. But like that got me into tech and I found I had a real passion for it. So I started working more in tech. Eventually, I wanted to write about tech. And again, somebody who um, I don't think anybody could do this these days, but like I was a prolific commenter on a blog called Gear Log, which was PC Mag's gadget blog back when everybody had specific blogs for things. And uh, the editor for that reached out to me. And was like, you seem to be able to form complete sentences. Would you like to write for <laughs> us? <laughs> and so I did. And I mean, it was nothing like it was like just, you know, little 200 word blog posts. And she Mm. paid me like, I think it was 50 bucks or something like that. And, but I was building a portfolio and, Mm -hmm. and that's what I didn't realize. Um, and I started doing more of that and I was just like, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with this. I was an IT project manager at that point. I'd gone to grad school, got my business degree, living these two separate lives as a writer and a like system admin project manager, business guy. And, um, and eventually, I just gave up the business side. I was like, you know what? I can. I I got my PMP. I could be a project manager anytime I want to be. Uh, but let me take a chance on this whole journalism thing. And immediately, like one week after, I said to myself, I'm going to be a full time freelancer. Uh, old editor in chief of Lifehacker, Adam Pash, came to me and said, Hey, do you want do you want a full time job? Because <laughs> <laughs> come on, I know, I know. It's just a, so a wild. It's a wild confluence of events, but it worked out. Right, um, that's also where like a lot of the business stuff that I write about came from. Because mm. when I was at Lifehacker, I wrote a lot of office culture stuff because I was one of the few people there who had ever worked in an office. You know? <laughs> yes. I, I was one of the few people who had to understand how to interact with other human beings in a workplace setting where like we're all trying to get stuff done and we only have X number of hours in the day. You know, so um, but yeah, that's how I got to Lifehacker. Um, The New York Times was weird because one of the masthead editors there, he's still there, Clifford Levy, um, was a big fan of Mm Lifehacker. And he said he wanted to start Lifehacker at the New York Times, and he called it Smarter Living. Um, And then he said, I know I probably can't convince you to move to New York City. Um, He said about a month before, uh, I was deputy editor at Lifehacker at the time, about a month before the editor-in-chief at the time quit. Mm. (laughs) And they said... I mean, the leadership at, at like then Gawker Media, which includes Lifehacker and, you know, Gizmodo and a bunch of other sites, said, hey, if you want to be editor-in-chief, you have to move to New York. <laughs> so I moved to New York. Lifehacker, along with the other, uh, other other Gawker Media blogs, eventually, you know, went bankrupt because the lawsuit and everything got yep. picked up by Univision. Um and Cliff Levy said, hey, you're in New York now. You want to get coffee? And so I wound up taking a job at the New York Times. <laughs> and that was wild. Because he, he said, oh, yeah, I thought I would have to convince you to come work here. And I said, no, I took this coffee, hoping that maybe I could convince you to hire me. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I was there for four years, I think, running Smarter Living. It was a cool project. I did a lot of great work there. And then um, former editor of Gizmodo, Brian Barrett, who is now executive editor at Wired, pinged me and said, hey, I'm thinking about starting a service section at Wired. I know I can't poach you from the New York Times, but do you know anybody? And I said, boy, can you? (laughs) So here I am. You never know until you ask. You You never never know know. until you ask. And that's the thing, right? Like you Mm. always take the meetings. You always take those phone calls. You always, if somebody wants to interview you, you always take the interview, you know, and you never know. It just turned out to be a good move. That's awesome.
0: And so, I mean, yeah, what a cool journey. Um, Two questions related. One, do you miss the astronomy side of things? Do you miss oh, the space yeah. stuff? Like oh, I just yeah. rewatched Hidden Figures last night with my daughters oh. for extra credit. I love that movie and she had to watch it again. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, dude, space is so freaking cool. But you, it, those it girls is. knew their math. Like, yeah. do you miss that? Do
1: you miss that? Um, I, 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 mm, I miss the space stuff and I miss- yep. I mean, I still tweet about it a lot, you know, I like for Halloween, somebody was asking for like a spooky story. And I told this spooky story about how eventually, and this is true, eventually uh, on Earth, there will be no stars in the sky because everything's moving away. There's a whole side conversation, but like everything's moving away from us so quickly that eventually the light that reaches us, it'll take too long for the light from the stars we see now to reach us. The sky will just go dark. And the oh universe will just be so big that like, so eventually like that's the spookiness of the story is, yeah. um, you know, we're lucky to live in a time where there are stars in the sky because there will not be at one point. Now, of course that's wow. millions and billions, Yeah, yeah, of billions yeah, yeah, of billions. yeah. but still, um, so that's I miss good. that stuff. I miss okay, that. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but do I miss the math? Not so much. I don't, I no. mean, I, I, I can still do like three dimensional integrals in my head but I can't wow. do arithmetic, which is wild. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. So interesting. Like,
1: somebody's like, Hey, what's like two fifty six times 64. And I'm like, I need to open a calculator for that. But if yeah, somebody well, was like, what's the you know volume of this sphere, I'm like, Oh yeah, I got that. That's fine.
0: Isn't that funny. That's <laughs> it's, awesome. It's so weird. Okay. So get it. I missed, you missed the space stuff. Yeah. My, my second question is related to all the work you've done in working at some really cool places. Yeah. And on really cool projects that have allowed you to connect with really cool people, which I think would be uh, on the outside looking in a really uh, enriching, you know, rich life, right? Because all the cool yeah. conversations you have. What have you found for you as all the content you've created? I mean, I'm speaking to content creators, whether they're blogging or doing YouTube or podcasts. Yeah. Like, what what has been some of the content you've enjoyed the most that you have found both enriching to your life to to create, but also you feel like I'm good in this lane and I like this stuff.
1: A lot of it does have to do with a lot of the like kind of office culture business stuff. Um, And I find that as a writer and as an editor, the best parts of my job are really finding the voices to bring into the work that have a lot of interesting things to say. Because there's so many people with very big platforms that say a lot of the same things a lot. Um, And that's fine because that's their bread and butter and people turn to them to hear those messages, fine. But for me as an editor, and like when I was working at Lifehacker and even writing this book, uh, it was really, I went looking for the person who invented the term office housework versus glamour mm. work, because I th- thought that was such a succinct way of describing the kinds of work that people do. You know, the housework and the stuff that has to get done. The glamour work is the stuff that makes you important and popular or gets you that promotion or starts that new bi- th- that new project or venture. And like, I t- when I talked to her, I, I think it was Joan Williams, Joan C. Williams, uh, about the research that she did. There was so much that didn't go into the book, but it was just so personally enlightening to hear someone say. To me, I do research in this every day. And yes, your experience is backed by data. It is real. Other people experience it too. You're not crazy. And so it also, in a way, kind of helped break down that imposter syndrome that, you know, I think a lot of us have. Where we're like, oh God, I, I don't know if I'm enough for this. Or I don't know if my experience is enough to be broadly applicable to other people. And there are these experts out here willing to write for you, willing to chime in on your work, willing to back you up to say yeah, yeah, you are good enough for one. And two, you're not weird for even feeling that. So go get mm-hmm. it, you know, go go do the thing you want to do. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the cool. big thing for me. I love that. I love finding those voices.
0: That's awesome. That's such a cool perspective that you get to have from the vantage point you get to have where you're yeah. at. Um, so let's talk about your book, um, yeah. Seen, Heard, Paid. Yeah. I just love the title. Um, yeah. It, it, I track with it. And, and I know that the context for the book, right, is in, a lot of it is in the workplace and sure. to your point, and it's specifically, right, the subtitle, The New Work Rules for the Marginalized. Yeah. And I just had a, an amazing conversation last week with Jordan Calhoun about his his book, Piccolo's yeah. Black. And we were talking about um, his perspective growing up as a black man in America and what that, how that shaped him into his, his career path. And, and reading your book, um, I was privileged to get a, an early galley copy, reading your book, yeah. it, was, it gave me, again, another perspective, one reason why I wanted to talk to you about, you talk about how hard you th- you were told and trained you'd work twice as hard yeah. as, let's say, the, the white people or the white kids in your class, and yeah. and but really how you've come to some different conclusions about it's not just working hard, and there's a lot of overlap in what I teach and what I believe, even though if we're coming from a different maybe background or perspective, but you have 15 rules in the book. And there's a couple I wanted to pull out, maybe you could talk about that I think are very, they're all interesting ones that might be really like timely for my audience. One is only spend time on work that gets you attention. right? That just it took my breath away because I'm like, A, I work by myself. So I do whatever I want. Nobody tells me if it's good or bad, which is neither good nor bad. I don't know. Yeah. Um, hence why I wanted to get get published and do and work with the publisher for my book, because I wanted somebody to tell me if it was bad because everything right. else is self-published. But you know, I don't have that problem. But I I read into it from a uh an entrepreneurial perspective yeah, I only want to do work in my business that gets attention for my Mm -hmm. brand and moves the brand forward. So what do you mean by only spend time on work that gets you attention? And how would you apply it to content creators, whether they work for themselves or work in a company?
1: I think you're, I think that's a lot of exactly what I was driving at, right? Like, I mean, yeah for office workers it's a lot about raising your own profile on your team or or in your company or um, with your manager but like for folks that are trying to break out and like do their own thing like you know content creators youtubers streamers and stuff like that yeah you need to if you're spending time doing work that you feel is important but isn't really helping you Succeed or really isn't helping draw in new customers, draw in new eyes, draw in new visitors, draw in advertisers, sponsorships, partnerships, um, you know, peers, then you're not really doing a lot. You're kind of spinning your wheels on stuff that in a lot of ways could either be delegated or maybe that's the office housework. That's your version of office housework, right? It's the stuff that needs to get done. But it's not the stuff you should really spend your time and energy on. Um, and to me, then that's important because, like, as a journalist, I have to do work that raises a profile of the publication I work at, right? But journalism, like many other fields, like, if I leave Wired at some point, and I certainly will eventually, I need to be able to take my skills, the audience I've built up, the people who trust my advice with me, Um And the only way to do that is to spend time on work that matters to not just you personally, but to the Mm. people who follow you for advice. Um, Mm. So there's a lot of that in terms of like in the office, in the workplace. Yes, that we're talking about the stuff that matters to your boss. But out here in the real world, we're talking about people, the stuff that that matters to your readers, the stuff that matters to your viewers, the stuff that matters to your customers. You got to pay attention to them because that's, those are the folks that are going to spread the word. Those are the folks who are going to draw in new eyeballs and help you build your business.
0: That's so good. Do you find, like, do you find that it's hard to, to maybe sometimes ignore the things that you want to write about for the sake of what you think the audience wants to hear? I know there's a a, a line you need to toe there because you need to do stuff you believe in, but do you find that hard? Or have you found any ways to get that balance just right?
1: It is tough. Um, I try to find, I try to remind myself that no matter what I want to work on or what I want to write on, write about, there will always be a time for it. So I have Mm. a a couple Google drafts of stories that I've been meaning to write. And I mean, I'm technically an editor, so I'm not doing much writing these days at all. But, well, that's not true, but, but I shouldn't be, I guess. But I, I have a, a couple of Google drafts that have been sitting for probably over a year just because, mm. one, it's just not the right time for it. Or two, I haven't had the time to work on it because something else is more important. So, yeah, I could just let that go and be like, oh, I'll never get to it. But instead, for me, I'm like, no, there will be a time when my mm. thoughts on this topic will be valuable. That time just isn't right now. And Wow. If it comes, it comes and I'll be ready to jump on it. But it's not like a, it's not a, it's not a, what am I thinking of? A zero, it's not a zero sum game. That's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. It's not all or nothing. Yeah. Right.
1: You know, if you have interest and expertise and opinions on a thing and now's not the right time, okay. Doesn't mean that's worthless. It just means it's not right for right now.
0: So, man, that takes a lot of wisdom and self, you know, discipline, I think. Have you, as, I'm curious, as a journalist, you know, especially when you were doing maybe more writing and editing is a different task in and of itself, yeah. Do, have you found like you've created a piece and it wasn't the right time, the audience didn't engage with it, but it was the right piece, just need to bring it back in a year or two or three yep. or 10. Is, have you seen that happen? Are you an example I, of that?
1: I, oh, yeah, absolutely. There was a, I wrote an article, probably it, it, it gained fame after I left Lifehacker, actually, uh, called The Company You Work For Is Not Your Friend. Um, and it was literally just that, right? Like, Hey, the company you work for, if you keel over tomorrow, they're going to say, wow, that sucks. The people who work with you are going to feel bad, but they will hire to replace you. That work will keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just how businesses are because they have to keep moving. And I mean yes that sucks on a human level but you need to it recon, you need to recognize that on a human level so mm. you spend that time that you're not working on things that matter right the things mm. that matter to you personally and it also means that you don't need to give the the business or the company that you're working for Uh, an undue lump of flesh of yours that they didn't really deserve. Uh, Because like a lot of us, you know, we kill ourselves to work, to do good work and to work really hard. And that's fine if that's the work that you feel like you were born to do. But if you're shuffling papers or like I was when I was a project manager, I love being a project manager, but I didn't want to, like, that wasn't my passion. That wasn't the thing yeah. I wanted to, I didn't wake up in the morning and say, how can I move this Gantt chart forward? You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> like so. Come on. no, nah, yeah. But I still make a mean Gantt chart, but like, you there know. There you go. <laughs> but that's, it's important. It's And um, it it did well when we published it. But it has been long since I left Lifehacker that I see people going back Mm. to that. Every time there's a big round of layoffs in media, people are like, oh, yeah, remember that story that Alan Mm. wrote for Lifehacker, the company you work for is not your friend, and stuff like that. People talk about it later. Um, And that's another one of those things like, yeah, I mean, it's doing well for the folks at Lifehacker, and I'm happy for that. Um, But I'm glad that people still remember that it was me who wrote that piece. Right. Yes. And they come to me and they're like, Hey, you remember that story you wrote, man, it resonated with me last month when all my friends got laid off. You know, that's wow. the kind of thing. That's really cool. Really powerful. That's
0: good, man. Yeah. I, I think there's probably someone listening to this right now who's created content that they really believe is something they believe in personally, but they also believe there's someone that needs to hear it Mm -hmm. and they put it out there in the world and it falls flat. Maybe, maybe it's that they're earlier in their career, so their audience isn't that big or doesn't stretch as wide, or maybe, you know, they created the content on that subject and it, they, they actually weren't at, it wasn't the right time for them even to articulate Mm -hmm. it as best as they possibly could. Maybe a little bit more life experience, maybe just, I mean, something that I I try to to beat into people's brains is to be a content machine, like always put out content because you're also working on your chops and you're, you're getting better at communicating Mm -hmm. the thing. And so you can come back to those themes and say them again in a fresh light, because we're all changing a year later, you might come to that same topic in a different angle. One of those for me is always I'm really, I, I hate the hashtag hustle thing. And so one of the messages I beat into my people's brains is, which was what I resonated about this section of your book is work smarter, not harder. I love good work and I love, being proud of the work I do, but I also have other things I'm interested in other than work, and so I want to find right. what's the most efficient way to do my work. But yet, that's not lauded in our culture. We <laughs> we celebrate workaholism. We just have to give it a better name. We, you know, we have to yeah. like call it hustle or call it something else. And so I've 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 done that message a few times, and sometimes early on it fell flat, and, and then yeah. I'm bringing it back in in different ways. And now all of a sudden people are like, whoa, what is this message? I'm like, I've right. been saying this for like four, five, <laughs> six years. Right. But I'm you know you're trying it out in different voices. So anyway, yep. there's maybe another time for the same message you want to. Bring is all I'm saying.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, that's the thing, it'll resonate with different people at different times. And sometimes it takes that right person to pick it up and be like, wait, you said it this time in a way that really hit me, right? Like sometimes yes. it's the same people who will hear the same message, but the way you phrased it this time, like I tweeted about this uh, yesterday, I think it was, and it's like my mantra, right? Productivity isn't about getting more stuff done, it's about getting the stuff you have to do done so you can spend more time on the things you want to do. And Mm. that's so important to me. And I've been saying it for years and yeah, every time I say it, somebody else is like, Oh man, I didn't think about it like that. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But I, like you said, I've been saying it for like five years, (laughs) you know? Yeah. You know, sometimes it just takes that, that particular person or that particular moment in their lives for them or you to say it in the right way that it really sinks in.
0: I mean, how many times have we read a book and it didn't connect with us. And then you pick it up right. a few years later and you're like, oh my gosh, what? how did right. I miss this? How you did know? I miss this? Exactly. <laughs> That's good, man. Uh, you know, um, one of the other rules you have in the book is, um, and this, I think this ties in nicely with, yeah. with, what you're talking about with productivity, is set and protect your boundaries. Oh yeah. What, what are, what do you mean by that? What are some boundaries that you feel like you need to set and protect for you personally? And what have you seen in the workplace and the people that you're talking with?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, one thing I had to learn how to do this more so than I even knew already to write the book, right? Because mm. I wrote the book while I was holding down a full-time job, which is something I don't generally recommend people do. Um, <laughs> like most most yeah. of my most of my peers were like, Oh, I'll take a book leave and I'll write my book. And I was like, nah, I can handle this. I it's fine. <laughs> Oh boy. I, oh. Do not, I don't want it. If, if there's a second book, I will, I will definitely take a leave to write it um, Good for you. But that was the thing. Like I had to say at a certain time of night, I am done working. Mm. I cannot be available regardless of what it is. And now luckily I'm, I'm a service journalist, right? I'm not like a breaking news journalist. So no one's yep. going to wake me up at one in the morning because a thing happened and I need to cover it. But I did, I still had a hard time with people who wanted to schedule meetings after hours, or they wanted me to get involved in a thing. And I had to learn how to say no. And Mm. that is also so powerful, but it's so hard, especially when you're used to having to say yes to opportunities just to grow. Right. You don't want to say no to an opportunity that might turn into something good or you don't want to say no to somebody who might be a huge help to you or you might be a huge help to them. So, like, I had to start saying, no, I can't. I have to I really need to work on my book or no, I Mm. can't. Or maybe no, maybe this weekend or when I have time or maybe no, no, but no and. Right. Mm. And but the important part of that is still no that I have mm. to stop what I'm doing now and do something else. Something that may not matter to you, but matters to me. So like, and I, I find that uh, the the pandemic kind of threw a wrench in a lot of that for a lot of us, because, you know, we all, those of us who worked in offices worked started working from home. We had a lot of competing responsibilities and everything. And we're all expected to just kind of keep going and keep doing mm. things like nothing changed. And no, things changed. Um, and so, yeah, you have to protect... That space. And sometimes it's not just like protect time with your kids, although that's very important, or protect time with your family or your loved ones, which is also important, but sometimes it's about protecting your mental space and giving oh, your sp- giving yourself time to focus on what matters to you, to read a book, to listen to something you like, to drink a big glass of water, to get some exercise, and do the things that are important to your I mean, I it's kind of overused, but I want to say your soul, you know, like mm-hmm. the things that are really personal. Because we spend so much time doing stuff for other people that mm. it's easy to forget. Like part of productivity is making sure that you take time to rest, recharge, and come back fresh, ready to tackle those new things or ready to bring some new ideas to the table. And if you don't take that time for yourself, you're just gonna be burned out all the time. And that sucks.
0: Gosh, yeah, there's so much there. I, I think. I find saying no is really hard it to is. your point because in any anyone's career, whether you're like for you working at different publications and getting opportunities, or if you're an, an entrepreneur, you feel even more pressure. But it's the mm-hmm. same pressure of like you, you you understand the power of yes, and mm-hmm. to your earlier point, taking the meeting, mm-hmm. you know, and and at some point that stops serving you by just carte blanche saying yes to everything, right? And no one. No one taught me that. Like I, I learned to say yes early on and I understood that not everything would pan out, but I had a harder time learning to say no and realizing well, at some point it's actually healthier for everyone if you do learn to say no, but that's a different type of work to, to stop and look inward and be like, what what is my purpose in this work? What is my mission? Mm -hmm. What is my vision? Because I can't say yes to everything and I have to get more focused probably the more advanced I get in my career. Maybe you've had to deal with that, but I find that to be really hard. What have you found to help you say no? Did you have a breaking point or is there sort of like some guiding principles that you've personally set up for yourself? Talk about rules. Do you have like your own, like, these are my you know, the sacred moments? Is it time? Is it types of like, what is it for you that helps you?
1: Yeah. I mean, for, for one thing, like as far as sacred time, like I always make sure that I carve out at least a few hours a day just to chill. Like, and when I say chill, I mean, whatever I want to do, whatever that looks like for me. Um, and, Lately, for me, that means a lot of video games, which is cool. <laughs> but like, also, I mean, lately that also means taking walks. That means like mm. I've been locked up in my apartment for the better part of two years because I'm working remotely, and you know, there's a pandemic, and I live in New York City. You know, I'm trying to stay healthy here. So like, but also, I I still need to get out and take a walk. I still need to get out yeah. and get some fresh air. You know, um, the one thing like an actual productivity tip that I use. To guide myself here is uh, one that I crib from David Allen, um, the Mm -hmm. weekly review, right? I do actually, I'm a huge, huge proponent of the weekly review. And it doesn't have to look the way that David Allen explains it to look. Like it doesn't have to have the same level of rigor. All it really is to me is a time every week, usually half an hour to an hour where I stop working and I spend that time looking at the work I've been doing and ask myself, why am I doing this? Is this in line with my goals, with my dreams, with the things that I want to accomplish? If there's a project I'm working towards or what, don't let life happen to you because it will if you let it Um If I don't, if I just keep editing stories as a, I'm a senior editor at Wired, right? Great position. But like, if I just keep editing stories as they come in without thinking, what's my editorial vision, Yeah, then I'm not really doing my job. And if somebody comes to me and says, hey, Alan, what's your editorial vision for the service section at Wired? And I don't have an answer. It's not a good look for me, you know? So I have to stop. And I think everybody does, especially, especially people who work for themselves, because it's so easy when you work for yourself. Like when you're a content creator, it's easy to just spend all day, every day, working on the things that will keep you paid, keep your rent paid, keep your 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 fridge full, because you just know that any time you spend not working is potentially money that you've left on the table. But you got to stop sometimes and say, Where, how does this add up? Where am I going? Where do I want to go? And is are the things that I'm saying yes to In service of that goal. Is it, is it taking me there or am I just kind of grabbing opportunities everywhere because they're available to me? Um, Mm. The only way you're ever going to sort that out is if you stop and say, okay, why am I doing this? Um, And it's so easy when you, when you stop and say, why am I doing this to start doing work? Uh, and you got to stop yourself from doing it. Like I spend my time, like every now and again, I'll, I'll do a weekly review. I usually do mine on Friday evenings, and I'll start replying to emails. And I have to stop mm. myself.
0: <laughs> oh yeah,
1: because like you think, oh yeah, yeah, okay, this is the thing I want to work on. Let me shoot him an email back. No, 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 no. Now is not the time for working. Mm. Now is the time yeah. for thinking about working. Um, so that's tough, but it's important. Which it's to a get different
0: that. kind of work. Yeah, exactly. Thinking is a different kind of work. Exactly. So we have a chapter in the book. This is. This is a nice segue. You have a yeah. chapter in the book on figuring out your unique contribution. Yeah. This is something that I'm personally always trying to refine. Um, you know, I, I spent years teaching musicians how to record music on yeah. a budget. Like the recording revolution is my first YouTube channel business. I did that forever. And when I transitioned uh, into the business coaching space and teaching how to create content and monetize your content, like I, I've been doing for 12 years. Um, I thought, man, this is such, I'm going from a small pond where I was a big fish in that little niche. I had like the largest YouTube channel and I, I kind of was comfortable and safe there. And when I jumped into the business coaching space and even, even the niche within that of the online business space, yeah. it is humongous with some yeah. very big players. And so imposter syndrome crept back up again. Sure. And, uh, and you know, who am I to get in here? And one of the reasons I had imposter syndrome was is there anything unique about what I have to say in this space? Why should anyone listen to Graham's take on building wealth or passive income or courses or whatever it is when there's some good players in the space? Now there's some, some pretty grimy people in this space as well that I'm (laughs) I'm trying to, uh, you know, displace darkness with a little bit of light here, but yeah, um, but this is something I've personally resonated with when I read that chapter because I've I've always tried to refine it. So, what advice would you give to content creators who I think feel like my students at least tell me, you know, I'm a fitness instructor. I mean, what else, what's new that I could say? Or I teach how to speak French. Like, there's a lot of language, foreign language teachers. How do, how can people figure out their unique contribution in their space? So, what is maybe a, a starting point for that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I always tell people, and I tell them this with writing, and I tell them this with everything, think about how your lived experience informs the lessons that you want to teach other people. Because Mm. we all, and, and so this is a weird sidebar story, but like one thing I like to do, and this is really stupid, but like one thing I like to do, I sit in my apartment and I'll sit on the couch and I'll look out the window and I'll watch the planes go by. And uh, like, I'm not you know, near an airport or anything, but every now and again, I'll see a plane go by. And I remind myself that on that plane are probably like 200 people who have rich inner lives just like mine. They have mm. whole lives, whole stories. Some of them are traveling for business. Some of them are going on vacation. Some of them are seeing family. They all have a story that is as interesting as mine is and as intricate as mine is. So, when people come to me and they're like, Yeah, I mean, I'm a blogger, but what do I write about that hasn't been written already? I'm like, Write about you. Like, write Mm. about, I mean, you can tell the same lessons that other people have, have told before. But when you tell it from your perspective, you create something new. And sometimes it's about finding your audience, right? Sometimes it's not about taking their audience and making them listen to you. Sometimes it's about finding the people who resonate with you and your story because there's always somebody, right? There's always somebody who's going to be like, if somebody else said, block off a day of no meetings so you can get actual work done, they'll listen to that person. There are other people, and this was an example that I use in the book, there are other people where I say that and they'll look at me and say, yeah, but that doesn't work for me. Did it actually work for you? And I'll turn to them and I'll say, no, it didn't. And you and I know why. And mm. I'll explain to them that, yeah, some people come with different social baggage that makes their decisions different than other people's, even if they're arguing about the same tip. So, like, sometimes I would say, for, especially for people who are striking it out on their own or trying to do something new, uh, find that that nugget that really ties the things that you're doing to your personal life. Uh, everybody mm. loves a personal trainer who understands their cl- their clients their customers right there's some people they're personal trainers who are like professional kinesiologists who understand the innate workings of like the human body and muscles and everything but if they have no humanity then essentially you're taking a course from a textbook right mm. so like if you but if you work with somebody who understands like who you are where you live what your job is like I mean that's somebody who's really going to work with you and you're going to have an understanding with that person that will help you achieve your goals so like don't think about being the, the expert kinesiologist, you know, although sure that education helps think about like who you can talk to, who's really going to resonate with you. That's, that's yeah, yeah. I love I tr- that. I think about that a lot. Well,
0: and it's, in- it's interesting because everyone's different. And so like, I'll just share, this is the way I thought about it that I, I've had to rethink over the years. I thought the opposite. I thought yeah. no one cares about me. And, and, in some regard, that's a great marketing tactic to understand is that they don't care about you. They care about what's in it for them. So you really sure. have to get to the benefits. But as a content creator early on, I thought I'm just like a, a messenger. So all that matters is the message. Like, is this the information they're looking for? And so I removed my humanity at times. Mm-hmm. I, w- I didn't share personal stories. I didn't want to quote unquote, waste people's time with Graham's personal life when I'm right. teaching audio recording or like buying the right microphone or in, in, in business even early on. But I've had to learn like, no, no, like the, the reason people are following my version of teaching the same thing they could learn from somebody else is because of me to your yeah. point. And I'm slow to figure that out because I'm, why would anybody care about me? It's almost like the fear people have had and my students were like, well, why should they listen to me? The fear is actually, it's the opposite. Right. You are the reason they'll listen to you exactly. because you're unique and your take on things are unique. So I, I still to this day struggle with it, but I think you're you're spot on that that's it's the there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon right. said, that was three thousand years ago. Yeah, um, and it's still true today. But I think you you as the person and your schema and your background and your story uh, is. What is the special you know, vibration of it, the, the, the ripple in, or the nuance in the message that maybe, to your point, someone else will better connect with?
1: Absolutely. And I mean, that's the thing. There's always an audience for a lot of the same things, just from a different person. You know? So never underestimate the value of that personal contribution. Like Never underestimate the value of that personal story. Because, I mean, yeah, I, we can all talk about the same things and agree but different people will listen to us for different reasons and that may have nothing to do with us. Right. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: That's so good. Well, the, the book, I know we want to wrap up here, but yeah, the, the key part in the book, a, a, like a thread, right. Is that you were writing this and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but from what I'm reading, you're writing this for, What you would say marginalized people in the Mm -hmm. workplace, where maybe it seems like the deck is stacked a little hard against them, a little harder. And you're trying to give them tools through these rules to advance in their career, advance in the workplace. And you, because you've lived it to to your point, you're bringing your story into your content here in the book. my question for you is like you listed, you know, certain groups of people, right? Yeah. Um, Based off the color of their skin or maybe their gender or sexual preference or things like that as as marginalized groups of people. But I, you think you talked about it a little bit, but also what came to mind was people who are highly introverted yeah. and quiet and have a hard time talking about their accomplishments, um, because I saw that when I used to work in corporate America and I see that in the business space where it's like these really shy, quiet people seems to struggle. And I almost viewed them as a marginalized group because the big boisterous people are going to speak the loudest and get the attention to your earlier rule point. So what what advice would you give to anyone who (laughs) is either marginalized based off of these other, these... Groups that they are part of, or yeah. just their personality, even because that can hold people back.
1: Absolutely, no, you're absolutely right, and that is a thing. Like you know that I I mentioned it on a newsletter once. That marginalization is for everyone. I mean, everyone can be marginalized depending on where they are. It's not necessary. I mean, it is often systemically and structurally, socially about race, gender, religion, uh, ethnicity, stuff like that. But it doesn't have to be right? Just like you said, um, there. Are, I worked when I worked at the New York Times, I had a colleague who was very much one of those people who stands up, the whole, all, takes all the air out of the room. He is the only person with the ideas. He's the only person with the projects, with the dreams, the goals, and everybody else is just kind of quiet. And I was one of those people too, right? I, I'm just sitting there like, man, I really wish I could work on something like that. And mm. that sucked for a long time because I was like, man, I'm not getting those chances to shine. And the reason is because I'm not standing up. The reason's because wow. I'm not saying anything. Um, sometimes it is about busting out of your comfort zone, you know? And I kind of hate saying that because I hate telling people who are introverted, like myself, you know. I mean, I'm an introvert. I hate telling introverted people you gotta act like an extrovert to get by. Uh, that's not yeah. fair. It's not fair. It does work, yeah. <laughs> but it's not sure. fair. Sure. Um, instead, what I say is lean into your strengths. And play mm-hmm. the if you're gonna play passive in a meeting because you know you're not comfortable speaking up, then get your ideas down, act quietly, move in silence, rally your friends, rally people who are like-minded and you know who will support you, and then take your ideas to them, then take your ideas to your manager quietly and sit in your next one-on-one. Also make sure you have a one-on-one <laughs> with your manager. Um Or alternatively, if you have something that you're passionate about, like I wanted to start a newsletter at the New York Times. I couldn't do it for a variety of reasons. It didn't necessarily have to be exactly with the fact that I was shy, but I did it on my own. And Mm. it's small, sure, but I'm doing it, you know, and it's a start. And that's a lot of it, I think, that. If you can't do it in spaces where you're uncomfortable, do it in spaces where you are comfortable. Or alternatively, mm. find those spaces where you are comfortable because you need them. You definitely, definitely need them. Um, I found a number of like Slacks and Discords that I use, as, like talk with friends and people who are like me in the same boat. You know, and those spaces saved my life because otherwise, I'm in these big spaces where all the air gets sucked out of the room by the loudest mm. person, and I feel miserable. So there are places that you can go to feel like yourself, to bring your whole self to, you know, the people that you talk to and the things that you wanna do. You just gotta find them. You gotta find them.
0: I love that. Man, maybe we should do a, a whole like podcast one day on uh, how introverts can make it in this extroverted world. <laughs> oh my God, in, in I would love In corporate America that. and in business. Cause man, I'm with you there. Uh, <laughs> I, I've gotten good at at being on camera or yeah. being in front of a microphone or on a stage. But I am an introvert through and through inside. Absolutely, Absolutely. and um, I hope that encouraged somebody because I think too many introverts miss out on an opportunity to like, like they have so much light and so much goodness inside mm-hmm. of them. And you, your language it gets sucked, it gets sucked out from the, the loud yeah. person. No offense, because a lot of times those people are just being themselves too. Yeah, they're just extroverts that get the attention. Yeah. Absolutely, that they're operating the way they operate. Yep. And I think, oh man, there's just we need to we need to empower some people. So anyway, I, I got some ideas. We can off. I love me. it. Man, that was good, man. That's really really good. And I, the book is fantastic. I'm getting Thank through you. all the rules. There's so there, there's so many that I wanted to pull out. Um, the the book is seen, heard, and paid. The New Work Rules for the Marginalized. It drops June 7th anywhere books are sold. You can go to bookshop.org to check it out there as well. But anywhere you pick up a book, uh, Alan, Henry, thank you for your time. Thanks for your thoughts. Thanks for your unique perspective on it. And um, yeah, just for sharing with my audience. It's been a a joy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alan. I know I really did. As you can tell, he's an amazingly brilliant guy, really, really funny. Please support him. If you've enjoyed this conversation by picking up his book, seen, heard and paid the new work rules for the marginalized. And as always, if you are ready to start creating content and a business that gets attention that gets notice, and that allows you to not only make your mark on the world, but build the lifestyle that you desperately want and I believe deserve then start your online business today by taking my 30 day online income jumpstart guide. It's a free way to get this business up and running and make money in the next 30 days. Just go to grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart. Have an amazing day. We'll see you on another episode real soon.